I don't know. I, I know some of the young people may not be real anxious for the Lord to come back, but I know I am. <laughs> I mean, when you're young, you're like, Lord, just give me a few years. You know, I, I get it. You know what I mean? I get that, you know. Am I right, guys? Yeah, see, they're all shaking their heads, yeah. See, if you were good Christians, you wouldn't think that way, all right? <laughs> oh, my. Well, once you start getting a few aches and pains, then you say, Lord, come quickly, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, that's, that's a good song. What a great song that is, boy. I don't think anybody would be disappointed if they were in heaven tonight, just that the Lord took us all, came down, and just opened up the sky and raptured us all out. I think we'd all be pretty happy about that one, huh? Well, anyway, uh, Job chapter 22 tonight. We're still talking about, we began a new series called The Secrets of Li uh, Successful Living. Secrets of Successful Living. And we've been uh, dealing with a, a number of things. First of all, we talked about how to find the true God. Well, today we want to begin talking about the benefit of knowing God. The benefit of knowing God. And uh, that's a good one. And so we're going to kind of touch more, stick kind of a little closer to uh, getting to know him. And then next week we'll really focus more in on the benefit of that. But uh, we'll lay some groundwork today and just kind of touch on some things. But Job chapter 22, beginning in verse 21, we're going to read through the chapter and, um, and just take a look at this. This is a great passage in the Bible. Job chapter 22, beginning in verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then, then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver." For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. And, then the, light shall, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then, shalt, then thou shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it, and it is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. Now again, a, an interesting passage here. But the last time we got together, we talked about how to find the true God. And again, as I said, tonight we're going to focus on the benefit of knowing God. And this particular passage in the book of Job tells us that, that the good, that the, the blessings and the benefits that God has to offer really only come to us as we get to know him. As we get to know God, that's when the real blessings start to flow. Now, I get it. I understand that God's grace is extended to all. Even the unsaved experience the grace of God. We, we, we won't debate that. However, if you really want the best that God has, if you want the good and you want the blessing and the benefit of God in your life, then I mean to tell you it's important that you get to know Him, really get to know Him, and that'll make a difference. And of course, there's a great difference between knowing God and simply knowing about God. There's that difference. Millions of people, I mean millions upon millions, I'm sure, know about Him, but the question is, do they really know Him? There's a, theor there's a theoretical and there's an experiential knowledge of God. You know, people in theory understand what God's about. They may have an idea of who He is, but experiential is really where it's all at. 
experiencing him firsthand, knowing him in a very practical sense. That's so awfully important. And so many times we, we have the head knowledge, but we don't have the practical knowledge. We, we know what God is supposed to be and how he's supposed to help and what he's supposed to do, but we don't really experience that. It's like saying that God is the God of all comfort, and yet we say, but we experience no comfort. So in a sense, we've not experienced God. We've only theoretically understood him. And so it's important that we get to know him in a very practical, in a very experiential way because it is, it is so vital and it is so life-changing when we do. So how do we know God? Well, the words in the passage here, uh, Job chapter 22, there's two words, return and receive. And I want to look at those two words. We find them in verse 22 and 23 in the passage, and they basically give us a basic answer, a kind of an answer to that question. And as I said, we're going to lay the groundwork really today. And then next week, we're going to really focus in on the benefit as the passage outlines it, as it shares it with us. So let's go ahead and have a a quick word of prayer. And then we'll go ahead and consider these two simple thoughts, this idea of return and receive and uh, see what we can't figure out along the way. Father, we love you. We desperately need you. Lord, we aren't here, Lord, to... uh, do anything but magnify you. We want to lift you up and exalt you. Oh, through our fellowship and just through the word of God, uh, just whether it be through our laughter or whether it be through our tears, we want everything to be done for your glory and your honor. Now bless us tonight and may we truly, Father, be grateful for the privilege that we have to gather and to be able to receive your word from, from, from heaven. Oh, thank you so much for loving us and saving our souls and giving us the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of your family. Now, may we know you like never before. In Christ's name, amen. So that word return, in verse 23, we see it there. It says, if thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from from thy tabernacles. If thou return to the Almighty. We're talking about knowing God. Well, if we're going to really know God, we're going to have to return to God then. Biblically and scripturally, the Bible teaches us that we've wandered far from him. I'm talking about ourselves in humanity. You know, as we look at humanity, turn to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Again, a very familiar passage, but not one necessarily that we we talk about too often. It seems that probably around Christmas, this one seems to come up more often, but I like this passage year-round. I think it's one of the most powerful passages that there is in Scripture to deal with us as, as people in relationship to God who's holy. But notice what it says in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now again, that passage is extremely powerful. It clearly addresses, um, it clearly addresses the fall of Adam, and it's and that falls corporate consequence on mankind. When you look at that passage, you can't help but say, "Yes, indeed, we have all gone astray. We've all wandered from God in that regard, without a doubt, and in our humanness, uh, humanness." And in our, 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 in, in our humanity, we find ourselves as sinners wandering away from God, separated from God in that regard. And yet, here's the truth. There's not one scenario 
where you or I would have succeeded where Adam, where, where, where Adam failed. We would have all failed. There's not one of us that would have succeeded. Well, if Adam wouldn't have fell, then I'd have been in good shape. I don't think so. I really don't see a scenario where you and I would have succeeded where Adam fell. I just don't see that. I mean, you and I are rightly designated sinners with or without Adam's help. Now, I know somebody says, yeah, I know, but we're, not, we're talking about original sin. I, I'm, not, I'm just saying, I promise you this. If you were born into a perfect environment, you'd have found a way to mess it up too. And so would have I. I mean, every one of us ended in the same boat. This idea somehow that I'm really not that bad, that it's all because of Adam. He's the guy that messed it all up. Uh-uh. You're bad enough in yourself. You really don't need him to help you, I guess is what I'm saying. He's really not the excuse. Well, if it wasn't for Adam, I wouldn't be a sinner. You know what? I got a feeling you'd still sin. I got a feeling you'd do, just good, you'd do a, a good enough job of that on your own. Now, I get it. I get it. And someone says, yeah, but I wouldn't, have the, I wouldn't have that sin nature. Yeah, I know. Well, Adam didn't have it either. He didn't have it at first either. I'm, I'm just saying, uh, we've all wandered in a sense. This passage, I believe, addresses not only the lost man or woman, but it addresses you and I in a sense of our hearts, who we are and what we are. And without a doubt, we've wandered from him and we need our salvation as we're going to see. But the truth is, is that even as believers, we better be careful because we can wander far too. We've wandered from him. But not only that, but by nature, we're far off. And again, we're talking about the nature now. This is addressing this idea of the atomic nature. By nature, you and I are far off. So our first need is to be reconciled or made nigh to God. That's important. We talk about returning to God. The truth is, is that we've wandered. God didn't wander from mankind. Mankind wandered from God. It's us that leaves God. God never leaves us. Not in that sense. There's no doubt that when mankind sinned, when Adam sinned, God had to turn his back on man because of that sin. But boy, when Jesus Christ came, paid the penalty of sin on sacrifice on Calvary, I'm going to tell you something, that opened up every opportunity for God to turn to mankind and invite everybody into his fold. Amen. So you and I today, and where we live today in America, and where we live today in this time and age, we have no excuse for not coming back to God, for not returning to the Lord. And you know... We have to be reconciled or made nigh. That word reconcile, that, that means brought into friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity. Made consistent, adjusted. Let me say that again. Reconciled means brought into friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity. Now the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 10, turn there would you, of an amazing passage really. Because I think it's important that we really grasp the depth of our sinfulness. So many times we look at it and we kind of say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner too. Yeah, I'm just like everybody else. We're just all sinners. And we kind of flippantly say that. We kind of just kind of, kind of just flow right over top of that real quick. Yeah, I get, we're all sinners. No, it goes much deeper than that. There's so much more involved here. Notice again what the passage says in Romans 5.10. It says, for if when we were enemies, did you get that? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. It's not like if we were enemies. It, notice how it's phrased. For if, comma, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. For if we were reconciled to God. You could skip over that phrase in the middle. You see that? 
You can remove that when we were enemies. For if we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice again, he inserts this phrase, when we were enemies. So it's not a matter of if we were enemies of God. We were indeed the enemies of God. But because of his righteousness and because of his perfect work on Calvary and because of his precious blood, we are now redeemed. We are now reconciled unto God. We are, we are brought into a state of friendship from a state of disagreement. We were in opposition to God at one point. We were the very enemies of God at one point. But now we are brought into fellowship and friendship. That's a wonderful thing. And so by nature, we are far off. And our first need is to be reconciled or made nigh. Why? Because we were indeed the enemies of God. You can't be much further from someone than an enemy. I mean, honestly, you may not be friends with someone, but if you're their enemy, you are really at opposite ends. And we were certainly at opposite ends with God. Whether we understand it or not, whether we agree with the Bible or not, we were enemies of God prior to being reconciled. And that's something that we need to remember the next time we choose to go our own direction and travel our own path. We need to remember the depth of depravity that we found ourselves in prior to his reconciliation in our life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off and uh, were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In 1 Peter 2.25, for ye were as sheep going astray. I like that, ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Every last one of us were in a state where we needed to return to God. We need to return to God. We'd gotten away from the Lord in that sense. And again, I'm not just talking about in, in present time. I'm saying, yes, in our atomic nature, we had strayed, we had wandered. Now we need to return, yes. Maybe even in your own life now, you've allowed yourself, even as a child of God, to wander some. I hope not, but there's always a place for returning. There's only one way back to God, though. It's interesting. In Isaiah 55, again, turn there, would you please? Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Again, a great passage in the Word of God. One that's not often used, but boy, I like it. I understand we live in what we would call a the dispensation of grace and the time of the New Testament, I get it. But boy, there's a lot of good passages in the Old Testament that are certainly, we're certainly focused on and looking toward that day, that time. Boy, I'll tell you what, you, could, you can learn a lot about Christ. You don't need a New Testament to learn about Jesus. Notice what it says here in the passage, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. You're going to talk about God again in His grace. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Boy, I like that. What do we find in that passage? We say, well, there's one way back to God. Indeed there is. But you know what the way back to God is? Immediately. In the passage it says, it says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near, verse 6. Man, don't put off what you can do right now. Don't, don't delay what you can take care of this moment. And boy, so often we're dealing with those that are in sin and struggling with that area, and we find ourselves begging them to 
acknowledge Christ in their life, to recognize themselves sinners and in need of a Savior. And sometimes if we're not careful, they find they kind of respond as though, well, you know, that's not that urgent of a situation to me. I mean, I know it, it's important, but uh, not now, later. Boy, that, that's not the answer. When we start talking about returning to God, getting our, finding our way back to God as sinners in need of a Savior, my, immediately, that's the only way. We have to have a sense of urgency, whether it be knocking on a door, talking to a friend or family member or neighbor. I mean, if we're discussing the scriptures, we're talking to someone about the Savior, there needs to be a sense of urgency. You don't have time to, to, take, uh, uh, to take chances. You've got to deal with it while you can. Amen. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, we just got to have a sense of urgency. Well, okay, you don't want to trust Christ? Cool, okay, I'll see you later. That's not how the scripture seems to indicate it. I mean, it seems to me, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. What the point being is and what the idea or the thought behind it is, is you may not have another opportunity. You may not be able to find him at that point. Maybe he'll elude you at that point. Someone says, oh, God's always there for people. Really? You can put yourself in a position where you harden your heart so much that you want nothing to do with God. Listen, there's maybe just a small window. You and I will say, well, God's window is always open, and it may be. I'm not the one to determine or decide when or not God's done or through with somebody. But let me tell you something. Why take that chance? And boy, when we're dealing with people that are lost and in sin and have wandered far away from God and need to come home, we need to have a sense of urgency in dealing with them. Immediately. But notice this one, repentantly. Notice it goes on in verse 7, the beginning. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Well, I'll tell you what, where's this idea of, of turning from sin today? Where's the idea that, we don't, that sin is not something that pleases God who is holy and righteous? Where's the idea that we ought to be weighed down with our sin I know, and, and I'm not just, okay, let's, let's just skip past the lost even. Let's talk about you and I today. Let's talk about us who live in a world where sin is being promoted and where it's elevated, where it's, 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 it's just being, I guess, it's faddish, it's the norm, and it's even applauded in so many cases. And here we are as believers, and if we're not careful, we embrace the sins that the world is embracing, and we find ourselves comfortable around those that are embracing them. Well, we've got to be careful. We need to make sure that we are not allowing our thoughts to focus on things that are not proper, that we're not putting ourselves in a position where sin is normal and natural to us. It ought to be something where we think to ourselves, I'm a child of God and I need to forsake those wicked and sinful ways. And boy, those thoughts that I've had that are unrighteous, I need to deal with them. But immediately return, repentantly return and confidently return. Here in the passage again, seven, the latter part of verse 7, it says, Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, I'll tell you what, he will have mercy and abundantly pardon. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter who you are. If you'll come to the Lord Jesus, if you'll return to Christ in a, from a lost state, you've been wandering out in sin and you've not turned to the Lord, you've been doing things your own way, going your own direction, following the course of this world, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction in your life and you recognize yourself a sinner, the sinner that you are, and you see Christ hanging on Calvary, precious blood being shed, you see him buried and rising again on your behalf, and you finally say, I need Jesus. I want to cry out to Christ. I need him in my life or I'm going to hell. I want you to know he will abundantly pardon. He'll show mercy and abundantly pardon. And you say, well, I don't know. You don't know how wicked I've been. Boy, I'll tell you what. I wish more people felt wicked enough to feel that way. Boy, today we live in a world, even in the church today, where people just really don't think they're that big of sinners. They got nothing to, I mean, repent. What are you talking about? Repent, that's a big word, you know. Hey, uh, yeah, turn from your sin. That's what we're talking about. As believers, we ought to turn from our sin. As believers, we ought to forsake our sin. We ought to be so burdened down by it because why? It hurts our master. You know, with your children, it's a funny thing, isn't it? With our kids, we're all kind of crazy about this. And and I always try to help people with this because they don't get it yet. People don't get this. And in our day and age, it's even worse than ever. But people are like, you know what? I don't want my kid to be afraid of me. So, you know, you spank your kid. You're just uh, teaching them to be afraid of you. And you're teaching them to grow up to be, to, you know, to be abusers. It's like, it's like that's what you guys are all about. You Baptists, you Bible believers, you're all about the fear of God, the fear of God, the fear of God. Yeah, we're about the fear of God, but you don't understand the fear of God if that's how you, you say it. You haven't figured it out yet, see? Let me help you parents a little bit because I can tell you what, there's a correlation between your home and the house of God and how we address and deal with God as believers. Here's the bottom line. When you, when you first have a child come into your life, listen, you're not going to reason with that kid. You're not going to sit down and talk to that baby and that kid, but that kid's still going to rip your glasses off, pull your earrings out and do all kind of crazy stuff. And you got to teach them that it's anti-productive to do that. And there's no way to do that by talking to them, discussing it, or throwing something else in their way to distract them. You just need to deal with it. And you know how you deal with it? You deal with it the Bible way. You put a little fear in them. The fear of God. And in this case, the only God they know is you right now. And so guess who they need to have a little fear of? You. He said, but I don't want to lose my babies. I want them to love me. I need them because that's why I had them, so I feel loved. That's a bad situation if that's the reason you had a baby, ma'am. First of all, you ought to feel loved by your husband before you ever have a child. If you don't feel loved by your husband, please don't bring a baby in the world. I just threw that out there. But the fact is, is that so that fear starts there with that child and between you and that child. So that child goes to grab my glasses and I flick its hand. And I say, no. And he goes, no. And then that baby goes, no. And it does that maybe two or three more times. And pretty soon, you know what that baby does? Looks at its hand like, this ain't happening. And let me tell you, it's, that starts real young. So you say, when do you start that? As soon as that baby can start grabbing something it shouldn't grab. I'm not trying to be, that's not being mean. We're teaching that child something. We're teaching it a little self-discipline right now. And we're teaching a little fear, fear of me. 
Because there comes a point where sooner or later that child needs to learn to fear God. But hold on, here's how it works now. See, this is a funny thing. You know, people think, well, people spank their kids. Then, then their kids are going to grow up to hate them. Their kids are going to resent them. Their kids are going to despise them. No, that's, it's funny how this works. It's so funny how this works. When we actually address the issues like God intended it to be issued, uh, to be addressed, then what happens is, is that the child develops a sense of awe and respect for mom and dad. So then where before the child was afraid of the consequences of their actions, now they're afraid of disappointing and hurting the parent. See, what happens is that something switches, something clicks. It goes from the sense of, I'm afraid to do that because I'm afraid I'm going to get lit up. Although in the back of their mind, they know that's a possibility. But there comes a point as they grow older that they start to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that because I don't want, it's not that I'm going to get hurt by my father or mother. I don't want to hurt my father or mother. Something switches there. But it doesn't happen when you allow a child to disobey. It doesn't happen when you allow a child to go off on their own and do their own thing. That Somehow that respect isn't earned. Somehow something doesn't transfer. Somehow they don't care what you think anymore. You've got to discipline them early. Hey, the fear of God is a good thing because as a believer it works the same way. I start here at the cross and I go, man, I better get right with God or I'm going to burn. There's an element in our mind where we understand that sin is going to bring the consequences of a holy, righteous God down on our shoulders. And that fear moves us at at some point to say, I I know it ought to be, our our motives ought to be so pure that we say it's just because God is God. and And I want God to be pleased with me. But that's not usually how it starts. It starts with the recognition that there is a responsibility that a person has to a holy God. And that responsibility demands a judgment by that God of sin. He's going to, he or she's going to require, I mean, he's going to require of him or her a consequence. And so we say, well, you know what? I'm fearful. I have fear, the fear of God in me. I don't want God's wrath on my life. I want his blessing. So we take that step of obedience out of fear. As we move early on in our Christian life, we're, we're hearing about Ananias and Sapphira. We're listening to other stories in the Bible where God stepped in and said, listen, I will, I will chasten you, according to Hebrews chapter 12. And we say, man, I don't want God spanking my booty. I, want, I don't want that kind of stuff going on in my life. I want the blessing of God. And there's an element of fear early on in your Christian life. Hold on. But as you grow older in your Christian life, as you get to know him, as you get to know him, as you get to know him, All of a sudden, you don't need the spanking anymore. All of a sudden, what you really want is to please him. What you really want is to see him pleased with you. And you say to God, I don't want to disappoint my master. I don't want to put him in a place where he even has to think about spanking me. I care what God thinks. I don't want to hurt him anymore. I fear harming him now, not him harming me. See, that's where it changes. And the fear of God is not just a fear of him coming down in wrath, spanking. It's a fear of harming and hurting him. I have an awe of God now. It's not this, I've got an awe of God as an early believer and I'm not afraid of him. He'll never punish me. That's not the awe. The awe is ultimately he has every right to place me in hell. But I don't want to disappoint him. I want to please him with my life. I don't even want him to take the rod out. I don't want to hurt him in any way.
And he's so wonderful and he's so awesome and he's so great and he's so grand. He's so far beyond me. There's the awe that all these people want to talk about. But we get it mixed up. I don't even know where I'm at in this lesson, but I love talking about that stuff. (laughs) It's time to go. (laughs) Amen. So let me give you these real fast. Here they are. Receive. Verse 22. Receive. This was supposed to be a teaching lesson. It got to preaching there a little bit, didn't it? Receive, verse 22. We must receive him and trust him as Savior. We've got to receive him then. Yeah, we need to return to him. But then once we get to him, we've got to receive him. Once we recognize that we're out in the world and we need Christ in our life, we come back to him. Boy, thankfully, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But there comes a point we receive him now. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 1 John 1.12, You know it and I know it, but as many as received unto them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And aren't you glad today that when you recognize Christ, you know that he's there knocking at your heart's door. My, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We receive him. You got to trust him and receive him. But then we must receive his law and obey his commands. See, it's not enough to simply receive Christ as Savior. Now we need to receive his law. We need to allow his word to make an impact in our life. We got to obey his commands. I mean, the Christian life does not begin and end at the same place. But it seems that many times it does for believers. That we say, well, I got saved. And you say, really, where are you going to church? I don't. And what are you doing with your Christianity? I don't know. I'm saved, though. I got saved when I was a teenager. Well, that's good. What have you doing with it lately? What good does it do you? Do you realize that somebody that's not exercising their faith on a regular, consistent basis is missing out on everything God intended it to be? It's that they're losing. They're missing out. Sadly enough, though, here's the real problem, too. Everyone around them is, too. For that mom or dad who may have it settled in their life. Maybe they did as a teenager or a young adult trust Christ. Let me tell you something. Your children don't go to heaven because you got saved. They go to hell because they're not. This idea, I don't, I don't get this. You can try to help me with this. I don't understand how parents that are saved know Christ and will say, without a doubt, I know I'm on my way to heaven, want nothing to do with God and the house of God. And they don't want to expose their children to the, to the faith. I don't get that. How's that possible to honestly believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and as a parent, you're going to heaven, but you don't even care enough about your children to take them to church or to get them in the gospel or to show them how to be saved? What is wrong with you? I'm not saying you because you're here, but you know what I'm saying? Doesn't that bother you? We all have family or friends or others that have claimed, I'm, I'm saved. And it's like, but your kids, what about your kids? And there's only a short window, by the way, with your children. It's much smaller than you realize. And then they're on their own. Then they're gone. And your influence waxes and wanes the longer, the, the closer they get to that exit date. 
you have less influence at some point, especially once that ship sails. But I tell you what, you better hope your relationship with your child is tight and close. Because if it's not, your influence won't be. And even then, the best, the greatest opportunity that you have to influence your children is while they're under your roof. That's the greatest opportunity you have. I'm not saying that as a parent of, of young men and young ladies in my life that we've raised, that we don't have influence, but I guarantee you that I had more influence while they were under the roof than I do now. I, I would say a lot more. I got to believe that their wives or husbands have a little more influence on them than I do now. And, and, and I'm just saying, it's, it's, boy, get it done while you can. We must receive him and trust him as Savior. We must receive his law and obey his commands. In Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, thou shalt observe to, that, thou shalt, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What a vivid example of the precedent of obedience in our lives. Well, what a precedent it ought to hold in our lives. Moses, of course, has passed and Joshua is, is succeeding him. And it's, I mean, he is clearly instructed to make the word of God big, both in his own life and in the life of the nation. And this word of God ought to be big in our lives. Big. Oh, man. Uh, I don't, listen, you, you do what you want. When I die one day, and, and Lord willing, it'll be a few years and I could serve in the ministry, but that's God's business. But when I die one day, I do not want to be known as a good singer. Although people will say, Pastor O'Donnell used to sing a lot. He's a good singer. That's fine. I don't mind that being one of the things. But let me tell you something. What I don't want to be known as something other than a godly man. I want to be known for my faith. And if I'm not known for my faith, then I need to start changing something. I need to start thinking about how will I be remembered? How will I be recognized in my field? I mean, I, I, want, I don't want people just to go, he was a good man. He was a nice guy. He was a good provider. I want someone to say, he loved Jesus Christ. He was faithful to the Lord. He endured to the end. You know what I'm saying? Why are we so content to just be, have this eulogy like the world today? Well, they, they, were, they were a great employee. They were a blessing to their family. They loved their children. If you're a parent, shouldn't you love your kids? I'm not saying you don't put that in the obituary, but my point being is, where's it about their walk with Christ? Where's their relationship with the Lord? I'm telling you, if you go to Community Baptist Temple, my friend, you ought to say, when, when you die, everyone ought to say, man, they were faithful. Man, they were plugged in. Man, they loved Jesus Christ. They were a godly man, a godly woman, a godly teenager. I, I believe that. I think we're just so content with just the description of the world today. And I don't know, this is just a pet peeve of mine. But when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus. I want to see him before I see anybody else, okay? I really do. I'm sorry, but I want to see him. Now listen, I got other folks that I know have passed on that I care about and love. And, and one day, who knows, if I live long enough, I'll see other ones that are even closer to me pass on. But let me tell you something, when it's all said and done, I want to see him. What's wrong with us that we want to see somebody else? Where's, where's our spirituality at? 
Again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your husband or wife and all that. But where's Christ at in our life? How important and significant is he? And we wonder why we don't get the best God has for us. That's all extra. I'm just throwing this in. I'm sure it's a blessing right now, but we're going to get it. We're closing this out. We got to close. It's time to close. But I, I mean, I'm kind of joking about that, but I'm serious as a heart attack, so to speak. I, I really do. I, where's our relationship with the Lord? Listen, you're the best that Community Baptist Temple has in a sense. You're here on a Wednesday night. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know, you know, some of you in your personal prayer lives and I don't, I don't know exactly where you're at. But if, if we gauged the success of Community Baptist Temple on your personal walk and relationship with the Lord, would this church be a success or a failure? Would the ministry of Community Baptist Temple be accomplishing what God intended it to accomplish if you were the, the, the test case? We must receive him if we are to get to know him, not only as Savior, but as our friend. And I'm glad today that he's our friend, aren't you? Ye are my friends. Hold on. He says, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. He's saying, listen, we are in this together. Boy, I'll tell you, what a relationship that you and I can have with him. What an amazing relationship. Think about the best friend you ever had. And then ask yourself this question. How does Jesus compare? Would I pick him or her or him? If I had to have one friend, would it be my earthly friend or Jesus? And I'm not talking about the right answer. I'm talking about the answer that you really would make based on how you live your life. We cultivate a spirit of friendship with the master when we're submitted to the word of God. We share in the ministry with Christ when we're obedient to the father. Boy, we are in it with him. May our friendship with him be better than ever. May we have a longing. May we have a hunger. May we have a desire to draw nigh to him. Not to simply get us through another week of church. On the bus and off again, finally. But that our heart and our life is just beating for him. Every breath we take, we recognize his presence in it. And the absolute necessity of it in our lives. And without it, we would shrivel up and die. That's where we need to be. Father, we come to you.